Hey you. Whoa, didn't expect to see you here. Thanks so much for being curious enough to check us out. You're about to gift your ears the soothing, sensational and seductive sounds of the Story Network podcast. But before I jump into the emotive and inspirational introduction, I actually just want to take a moment and thank you for tuning in and then welcome you to the Story Network community. So thank you and welcome. Now, let's roll that intro. Hit it. This is the emotive and inspirational introduction to the Story Network podcast. My name is Zed Hopkins and it is my job to inspire connection, collaboration and creation through open and honest conversation. So let's put our lives aside for a moment, connect heart to heart, mind to mind, share with each other, learn from each other and inspire each other to be more, to feel more and experience more. 7.54 billion stories on one earth. We are the Story Network, and this is the Story Network Podcast. Woo! The Story Network, let's do it! Episode two, baby, let's do it. Today's episode is picking me up like a kite in the wind and blowing me all the way over to Chicago, the windy city, where my dear friend and creative colleague, Anais Gonzalez Nyberg, is chasing her dream of becoming one of the most prolific theater makers and producers this world has ever seen. She is a force to be reckoned with and a powerful and passionate speaker. This conversation is like dipping your fingers into a jar of Nutella. It's sweet, it's comforting, and it just makes you feel warm inside. We talk about the story of family, our relationships with nostalgia, and the future of art and theatre. But that's enough of me talking about it. Let's jump straight in and welcome to the technologically mediated and auditorily transmitted stage, Anais Gonzalez Nyberg. Awesome, Anais. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast with me. I really, really appreciate it. It's so great to see you and connect, albeit virtually, uh, from across the ocean. Um, how are things? Really? What have you been up to? Uh, things are... I'm enduring. I like the verb enduring. I heard someone else on like a... I was like on another Zoom call and someone was like, yeah, my word right now is I'm enduring. And I was like, that's perfect. I'm going to use that and run with it forever. Um, but yeah, that's how I'm feeling. Um, thanks for having me. It's, I think, really cool to just like have like intentional like time and conversations like this because honestly, I hide away. I'm like a total extrovert, but I've been hiding away a lot. Um, but in a way that's been really nice to like stay with the family. Um, I'm in Chicago right now and I'm in my childhood, well, where I've lived for most of my childhood. We've been in this home for 15 years and we just adopted a puppy, which I'll probably talk a lot about <laughs> if it comes up. Um, and so it's, it's nice to be at home with my mom and my stepdad and then um, our dogs. So it's kind of just been hunkering down with family and trying to find the, find the happy in that, you know, despite all the not happy happening around us. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, just to sort of get us started and sort of introduce, mm-hmm. we we met at college, at Pomona College. Mm-hmm. We were both theatre majors. We were actually set to do our theses together. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> that, that old thing that's sort of been swept, swept away right underneath our feet. Um, but 
since this is all about story, this podcast is all about how we tell stories and how we connect with people through stories. I was wondering if maybe you could give us a little spark notes overview of, of your story. Um, you know, like where you're from and the things that maybe have led you to where you are right now, back home in Chicago amongst all of this. Definitely. Spark notes uh, of me. I was born and raised in Chicago and my parents who are both very involved in my life still, um, divorced when I was like three. So I spent a majority of my life just growing up with my mom. So she's really kind of been my, my rock and my stronghold. And it was pretty much like us just moving around. Um, she's been an educator like for my entire life. So she works a lot with students and kids. And I think being an only child, like she never had any other kids. I always just thought like other kids and like connecting with people at school and like finding inside jokes, like that was my way of building family growing up. And so I always took friendships really seriously. Um, a little aggressive sometimes, honestly, if I remember. I was always that kid, just super zealous about being buddies with everyone. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in Chicago and um, my mom is Panamanian, my dad's Mexican. So I identify as Mexican, Panamanian, American. But while Spanish was like my first language, honestly, once I got to grade school, I told my mom, I was like, I need to fit in with the other kids. Um, I went to really diverse school. So often that meant like not everyone looks like me. So it was diverse in that like a lot of different kids, but usually not another Latinx kid. And I really lost Spanish along the way. I think that's like something that's like part of my identity because I think a lot of the recent years have been like, how can I use like my education and also my art as like a way to return to like that sense of home um, and like ownership of my culture and identity. And then, yeah, I eventually like tricked Pomona into accepting me. They gave me a scholarship. I could afford it that way. And um, I didn't do much of any theater before college, which was weird. I did do like one play in the gym. I was in middle school. That was interesting, but I liked talking. So they gave me the lead because I knew I would memorize my life. <laughs> and so yeah I really didn't get into like theater though and it didn't really become like my thing at school until our directing class which we took freshman year was it second semester yeah yeah and um yeah and then I just I had taken a basic acting class took directing realized it was really the only class I like enjoyed getting up and going to every day because slowly as I got through college I was like oh wait I I have depression and I deal with anxiety and like those things started coming up. So it was interesting how theater kind of also came up with that and started anchoring me through that process. So yeah, um, I became a theater major. I still am a little surprised by it and we did a thesis in directing. So um, that was kind of incredible. And that's, I guess my spark note trajectory of, I did not think, it was funny because I have a cousin who's basically as close to a brother as I can have because I'm an only child. Um, and he's also an only child. And he was always like the artsy, like he would like paint and make things for like gifts for Christmas. And he would be the one who had like recordings of this like random performance he put on at school. And he was like that kid. And then I was always like the studious, like I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to do this. And then Honestly, I just like surprised everyone. They're like, wait, why are you getting an arts degree? And I'm like, I don't know. And I still don't know. But um, I just know that it felt right. And I guess I'm just trying to run with that in terms of post-grad is like, 
what feels right and what feels life-giving, um, which feels a bit appropriate considering that there's no manual for how we're supposed to move forward via COVID. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> running with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a manual would be really nice. <laughs> would you like to write one? I would love a manual right now. Um, but I, I think that's, I think it's so important to sort of articulate, you know, you said you trick promoter and let you in, but also I think you brought so much to that school and to the theater um, environment. I think you're someone who, um, captured ambition and interest and passion and sort of like went with that. And I think there's something really beautiful in that. I think if we, maybe if we sort of step back right at the beginning, you spoke about sort of your, your cultural heritage and, and, and identity and how that links with this idea of home. So I was wondering maybe if you could speak a little bit about what that, that identity means to you and its relationship with your understanding of home. Yeah, I think, What's really interesting about growing up in like a Panamanian household is one, like, I think my understanding of like, well, I think jumping to like my father's side of things, like he comes from like a huge Mexican family. And so family, like he's the youngest of, the number always changes, I swear, because I don't know all of my uncles and aunts, but it's anywhere from 10 to 13 siblings and he's the youngest and I'm his only daughter. So like, I'm not that close with that side of the family, but like it's massive. And then you have my mom's side of the family, which is um, Panamanian and she grew up there and it's just my grandmother and then my mom and her brother. And so you just have like this very small truncated exposure to this entire culture, Panamanian culture, which really I don't think is very well represented in the U S like, you know, a lot of people don't, I don't know. I only knew one other student, maybe two at Pomona who like through a random conversation, I happened to find out that we both had Panamanian heritage, but like you wouldn't know looking at us, um, colorism in the, in Latin America is crazy. Um, so you really wouldn't know. And I think it just became a thing of like, I feel like I'm someone who's always looked into the world to see where I fall into place. Like who's around me? How do I fit in here? I want to please everyone. And I think growing up has just been really taking ownership of like, I'm not going to understand everyone. Now everyone's going to understand my experience because I have a unique background and it doesn't like fit into the boxes, especially like the U S and our notions of race and ethnicity and kind of boxing people in. And so it's been a, it's something that's actually like really present on my heart right now. I feel like I've really struggled with it through college to like own my identity of what it means to be like Latinx, but also um, the fact that like, my mother's father was, was an American soldier and that's how she was able to come to the States eventually. Um, so like having this very mixed heritage and I think through all of that, it's just, it's my mom and my grandmother. Like it's, it is really like their experiences that like anchor me. And I think that's why it's so home because people are like, Oh, what does like being Panamanian mean to you? Or it's like being Latinx mean to you. And it's like, it's watching novelas every single night with my grandmother. It is like watching these like terrible melodramatic stories every night on TV. It's the music and like the sounds of home and like, you know, the really charred rice pot that my grandmother like carried with her like through decades that sits on her stove. It's like those details. And I think that's like so specific to us and so specific to me 
but it's also really exciting when you see like the parallels with other households and other communities. And so um, that's like, yeah, it's not a really brief way of describing it, but I think that's just like where my thoughts fall on like how my identity is really rooted in just the space of home and home really being my, like my mother, my grandmother. Like if I had to define home, it'd be the two of them. Not to discount the rest of my family. They're cool too, but <laughs> they're, they're, my, they're my two people. So yeah, it's really rooted in them and how they've raised me. Yeah, I mean, there's something so beautiful there about these very, like, specific, unique, like, items or moments that become Mm -hmm. these, like, these definitive, almost tokens of identity. These, like, these, like, objects, you know, like the rice pot, but, like, that represents so much to us. Like, that that carries with it all these stories, all these meals, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. there's something so beautiful there. I, I think it's also it's also so beautiful to hear, you know, like this relationship with, with your mother and your grandmother and like how like that, you know, acro- across generations, like connects you to this like lineage, to this story that, that carries, you know, forever all the way back, you know? Um, yeah. I was, I was wondering maybe if, if you could recollect maybe a significant moment um, that you've had with, with your mother and your grandmother or your mother or your grandmother and, and, and maybe what that moment means to you. Definitely. So funny enough, I actually wrote a very short, I had to write it for class. Um, but I wrote a very short play about it. Um, but when I was a senior in high school, my mother and my grandmother, we took a week long trip to Panama. That was my first time ever going. And so we were staying with my grandmother's brother and like the outskirts of Panama city. And like, it was crazy. Cause one, it was like one of my first, I think it probably was my first time out of the country. I didn't really travel that much growing up and that it was really incredible to like go to the city, but like we weren't there as tourists. We were really there as like guests of our family. And my uncle, my, my great uncle, he has like lots of kids and they were all, they all spoke Spanish and they, um, you know, and that side of the family is like much darker. So they all look different than me. And I would think I was very much this like white Americanized version of like what they expected, like a girl from the U S to look like and how interesting that clash was of like their expectations and mine. And I just remember like being in that house for a week. Um, and we only had one car and we couldn't always like go somewhere. So we were stuck inside a lot and there was no AC and there was no hot water and just seeing the joy in my grandmother's family and my family with what they had, which if you compare to like the U S or other countries, like that would be like very, very low income, like nothing kind of way of living. But for them, it was significant and a lot and really sustains them. And so I think, I think I got to see what my grandmother grew up in and what my mother grew up in. And I got to appreciate where their sense of like worth and tenacity and their, I think, value of, you know, hard work and like that drive really comes from in my family. And I really do feel like I inherited that from them. And just details like I remember there's like this fruit it's called guayaba and it's well I think we call it like it would be called guava but other countries call it something else it's weird but it's basically if you can imagine giant pod like a smile and you cut it open and there's like these cotton balls almost and you like pop one in your mouth and you suck it until the seed pops out 
So you're just eating cotton out of a pod. <laughs> and it's like the most bizarre detail, but I just remember sitting there with my grandmother, like cutting them open. And she was telling me stories she'd never told me about, like who my mother's father was. Um, and like, you know, her, her views on beauty and what it meant to be a beautiful woman because she always yelled at me for cutting my hair when I was a kid because she wanted it to be long and, you know, like, like amazing and beautiful or whatever. And like, just like having those heartfelt conversations that we didn't even have growing up in this household because I feel like she just, those, those memories, it's her nostalgia, like being in her brother's home opened up that gate for her of so much that she's kind of forced to like, put down and not connect with when she's in the States. Um, and that just, that week was so transformative. I was like, one, really like touching in on my privilege because I was one of the, the few of our family that have been able to grow up in the States, but also just being able to like see my mother and my grandmother as like two independent women and what they've grown with. And like, that was a, that was a gift. I, I really wish I could kind of go back and like, condense that feeling and that wonder that I had. And that's what I guess what I'm trying to do with that play. Funny story, the prince, the artist formerly known as Prince, Prince makes an appearance in that play because we were we were there the week he passed away and he's like my mom's favorite artist. So it was such a weird like her nostalgia and her 80s movement. Anyway, it was a crazy week, but like that was insanely transformative in my life. Um yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really beautiful. I feel like there is something like so powerful about, you know, like going back to, to somewhere that is a home for you and like, like experiencing that with the people who have called that home um, and, and, and almost like letting that influence you and your understanding of what home means. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's really awesome that you, you've written a play about it as well. It kind of seems like a perfect segue maybe to talk about, art and your you know as someone who only in the past sort of few years has really like delved into art you've kind of jumped jumped you know headfirst into it which is which is awesome and you you've been doing a lot of really really like great Mm -hmm. work especially sort of like directing and 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 you know that you're writing as well how how do you feel like your why as an artist connects to this this connection to that wonder of of family and of history and of, of those colloquial stories. Yeah, I think well the why for me in storytelling, like if I could do one thing with my work, it's like I just want to build empathy. Because I feel like empathy is like the key that just opens up the world for so many people because it just gives us that like sense of wonder and curiosity and like bravery and honestly just humanity to connect with people that like we don't know those are not cultures I understand like you know it takes even though I grew up like saying like oh I'm Panamanian or my mother's Panamanian like it it took going to Panama and like roughing it up with my family for a week to realize like this is that culture that my like that my grandmother loves that my mother has and carries um and so I guess with like my artwork I'm just trying to like take this like use art as a springboard to start building those layers of empathy because I want people to come in and see a show or read a play or experience this piece of artwork and just be like, I came into this or like, let it humble to them. Let, let it humble them. Let it, let them ask questions because 
it's okay not to know and it's okay to want to know. And I think we don't let ourselves, I don't know, I don't know how you feel about Claremont, but especially like in Claremont where you're expected to know everything. Like, I feel like there were constantly terms being thrown at us or like people would say like, oh, this, and do you know about this movement and like this person and here's this quote and here's a book I read or I read six books last week. I feel like we were always expected to just know everything. And it's so, it really took like those first theater courses or I think our freshman year where I was like, oh, we don't know everything. My professors don't know everything but they're so excited and like they have like this fire under them just to play with the unknown and to let it just bring up so much new wonder and excitement. And I think it was that, that I just lashed onto that. I was like with Megan Prawl, like my acting instructor, like, Oh, that's, that's exciting. Cause Megan would just laugh and clap whenever we did anything wrong or we stumbled. Cause she's like, you found it. There you go. Like you didn't know what you were looking for. And there it is. I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. Cause I'm trying, I was someone and I still am someone who needs to have everything prepared. Like I need to be always on and theater has been the best place to just like let go of that. Um, and even better as a director to work with other actors who I think by our senior year, we're like older and we have wisdom. <laughs> and so people in our department are like looking at us like, what are you doing? You're directing, you must know. And it was always nice and refreshing for me to be like, Hey, I don't know. And that's okay because I don't want to be the person and I don't want my friends to be the people or the people that I work with to like go into every room and expect that they have to have all the answers because then where's the fun in that? And then you're not learning really and you're not experiencing new cultures. And I think that's why like for Daphne's Dive, the play that um, I put on and then became a Zoom reading, but I worked with it a lot. <laughs> like it was important to tell Daphne's Dive in the Claremont Colleges because it was such a specifically like North Philadelphia, like Latinx story that I knew so many of us would be able to connect to, but also so many of us who just ha would have never experienced anything like that would be really just like humored and, you know, heartbroken over and just really like connect with and find that like, oh, there's that common humanity. There's that common element. Cause that's what theater can do. And I think live theater specifically, although I kind of miss live theater, we've been doing virtual theater for, for a few months now. Um, and so I think that's why, like, that's why, despite the fact that I didn't start in theater and I didn't consider myself an artist, honestly, more than three years ago, like that's why I've been able to jump on because it's like, my whole thing is like, don't know, but do. And I have to kind of own that and keep going with that and pretend I know. <laughs> um, so that's been, that's been pretty cool. But how about you? Like, what do you, what would you say that is your whole, how would you answer your own question? <laughs> um, because I feel like being in the department with you, I've always looked up to you as being someone who came into this department very well, knowing you are a storyteller and knowing that this is kind of like the medium, one of the mediums through which you wanted to, explore those avenues and so like I guess it's someone who's just like feels like I'm a bit I always felt behind if that makes sense but I think that was always like a way to like push myself of like you really need to learn from your peers and just jump on board with them um yeah yeah I mean I I 
I appreciate you bringing the question back to me and, and I'll answer that in just a second. I, I do want to like emphasize this one thing that you brought up, this idea of like being okay to say, I don't know. I think mm-hmm. that phrase is so stigmatized in our current culture um, and in the culture of like competitiveness and elitism, but it mm-hmm. is okay not to know. And actually when we admit that we don't know, that is usually like the stepping stone for us then to like embrace curiosity, embrace our empathy because we're more open to listen to other people, Mm -hmm. you know, and connect with other people and be like, Hey, how do you process this? How do you deal with this? How do you make stuff? How do you be creative? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, you know, because the reality is, and I feel like I say this all the time, but like none of us have any fucking clue what we're doing. And if, no. if we say that we do, we're lying and I we mean, all know it, you know? Like, yes. like, like, I think like if we make it more okay to be like, hey, I actually don't know. You asked me that question and I'm not going to pretend that I know or I'm going to give you some fake answer. I'm actually going to say, mm-hmm. I actually don't know. But like, let's talk about it. Let's try and let's figure it out. Like, Let's mm-hmm. be open to have these conversations and, and put up work and, and be okay for it to fail miserably, you know, like, mm-hmm. because, because it's not, it's not a failure if it's done, if you create it because you learn through that. And I think, I think that to segue back to sort of flipping the question of myself is like one of the things I'm learning right now is that it is the process of creation, the process of connection and collaboration that is actually the most worthwhile. Obviously having a product at the end that you can interact with people and create a space for, for connectivity and empathy and these shared experiences for an audience is awesome to get those, Mm -hmm. those moments and those stories out there is awesome. But the story of how things are made and the journey that you go through with people, I think is also just as critical and if not more empowering because it is, you know, I think back to our thesis projects, you know, even, even the the journey and the story that you and I went on to get these things worked out, it was something that hadn't been done at Pomona in a really, really long time. And, and the two of us having to go on this journey and be like, Hey, um, neither of us really know what we're doing. We're trying to figure it out. Hey, do you know like what we're meant to do? How do we communicate with designers? How do we figure this out? But by, by the two of us being like, Hey, I don't know. We're Mm -hmm. just trying to figure it out. We were able to also like give each other advice and then sit down with each other and be like, in the audition process and work stuff out together in the process of scheduling rehearsal spaces. We're able to sit down Mm -hmm. and be very civil and professional with each other and provide, you know, support for each other as artists, knowing also that we had our own projects that obviously were our children that we weren't going to sacrifice on. But No, (laughs) exactly. But but there was something like beautiful in us being able to create this thing together. And though neither of us got to present the work as we had imagined it, I think, yeah, we were able to touch lives and create moments of experience and of connection mm-hmm. of collaboration that was so incredibly profound. You know, yeah. I, I remember walking in at one of the last nights, you staged a bunch of the scenes from the show. And I remember sitting there and just yeah. being mm-hmm. like, and just being like, wow. Like these are artists putting up work when they've just had the work that they'd been put all this time and energy into ripped out underneath them, but they're putting it up and they're putting Mm -hmm. what they have up and they're not afraid that it's not fully furnished and that it's just with the house lights on. It's a small audience, but they're putting it up and they're telling stories, telling moments. And I think that is what's powerful. And I think if I then bring it back to like my why and art, like I think Mm -hmm. art is a space for connection and expression and for processing. 
you yeah. know, and, mm-hmm. and I think from a, from a selfish standpoint, I think the reason I make art is because I don't know how to process everything that's going on in my life and in the world around me. And, and I don't know. And I think it is like through art and creation and collaboration that I'm able to like learn and mm-hmm. learn not only about other people and other people's stories, but also about myself um, and how I fit in with these other stories. Um, and I think that is the beauty of art is that it is a space for us to come together and collectively say, I don't know, but let's give it a crack at trying to figure it out. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And it's so true because I think you're speaking to that night where we kind of just all stumbled into the room. Like they just announced that school would be closing. We knew, like I didn't even have the whole, the whole ensemble because everyone was just really processing the grief of sudden suddenly losing our year and losing school. And a lot of us were seniors and, you know, everything changing. And I just remember that both with that night that we shared with our friends and, you know, you guys were so awesome to come, but also when we did the Zoom reading like a month later, which was just reading the play, which was just sharing what we'd started to work on. There was just so much love in the ensemble. Love their characters like they truly loved their characters I would have one-on-ones with my actors and they would talk about their characters with most care and respect as if they were really like this is this is another human being I have to like honor this person and I think they just felt charged I think we all just felt charged with like the story needs to be told like these these wonderful emotions that we've been grappling with despite how difficult and how much trauma can be in the play like is in the play like there was so much beauty and just so much testament to like life, honestly, and just how messy and gritty it gets in that play and in that work. And we just wanted people to know about it. We were just like, it felt like our hearts were bursting. It's like, we need to like share some of this with you or else we're not going to be able to like handle. (laughs) Um, And that's, I think what was really special about, I think that's what fueled those readings because they weren't polished. Like, they weren't rehearsed. I think everyone thought the Zoom reading was like rehearsed. And it's like, no, we had a technical run through like two days before. And then the actors just performed. And I got so much feedback on how they were like, people were saying like, it really felt like I was in the room and it felt like they were like talking to each other in the same room. And I'm like, it's just all that passion underneath it. So honestly, you can always put on art and it's meaningful if you just have that spark under you, um, which is, I think, what really fuels like, work like yours and mine. I think that's why we were able to mount and like pursue the studio series because we had such different stories, but they were being told with such um, similar like goals and drive that like it made it so special. And hopefully I just like, I think at the bottom line, I, I, I hope you feel the same way that it's just like, it's about hopefully that other students were watching this and then they're just going to take that and run with it in the next years. Um, like Taylor with her piece next year for the studio series. And like, I think that's just so exciting that we were able to like kind of dredge through the mud and figure it out and be like really lost for like weeks at a time. And then hopefully that's just like pushing more people to like Mm. challenge themselves and, you know, step out of the box in terms of what they can be doing in the department, because we have an awesome department, but I think we're, we're still figuring out that like sky's the limit and there's so many more ways to be pushing our artwork than just the traditional medium um, that we're often given. 
I, I think that is like such a, a good point. I think we'd had this conversation many times of like, we're not doing this for us. Like this is like us trying to pave the yeah. way for a, a new outlook on how we make art at these colleges and how we can facilitate um, an awareness of our own agency within this culture. And I think like that was the biggest thing is that I think sometimes like colleges is, 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 it has a lot of pros and cons, you know, like it's a complicated, <laughs> it's a complicated thing, the whole college system. But I think one of its, its downfalls sometimes is that it is too structured and it provides too clear of like points to get to, mm-hmm. to get this piece of paper at the end. But the yeah. reality is, is that you have agency in figuring out what is valuable within that experience, you know, like, and if that is grades for you, like, that's fine. You know, no judgment there. You make that choice, but you can also then shift it and be like, Oh, actually grades aren't as important to me. What is important though is creating stuff and being constantly creating or putting on a big show and figuring out how to make it done and getting real tangible experience, putting something up. And, and on that note, like the whole idea of you all putting the zoom, the zoom presentation up and not being rehearsed. I think there is, I think that there is a, another issue that we have in our current society with all of this information going up, it feels like so much stuff just goes up polished and it's like, there's that whole sort of ethos of like make good art and which is, I think a great sentiment. Like, yes, of course you want to make good art, but also before you can make good art, you have to make shit art. Like, like, you know, like (laughs) everyone's, you know, it's the same thing. All the writers talk about, you know, the first draft is terrible. I know like when they look at Pixar and they say that the movies that they start with are completely different movies than what gets distributed, Mm -hmm. but we're not told that it's okay to put out bad work, you know? And like, obviously we don't want to. And obviously, you know, a lot of the time we are our own harshest critics and, you know, maybe some people will be like, Oh, I didn't enjoy it. That wasn't good. But by doing stuff, by making bad art, we learn what the bad, what the bad things are. We learn yeah. about process. We learn about, okay, this didn't quite work. So now let me not do that again. I know that that is <laughs> yes. something that, that I really shouldn't be doing. And I should yeah. actually focus on these things. But this one thing, you know, this one moment we had in this show where the light came on and it hit the side of his face and he said these lines in this way, that was beautiful. And I can take that. And now that's something I have in my toolbox. And I think yeah. we've, we've got to get rid of this idea that we need to be making the best Broadway, Hollywood, these, these commercial successes all the time mm-hmm. that, Rather, what we should be doing is focusing on the process and making and connecting with people and putting stuff out there that, you know, that we're passionate about and that we want to put out. And it might not be the most polished thing and it might not be perfect, but if it connects people, if it allows us to explore and learn, then it's worthwhile, especially at this young age. For sure. Also, you're just like lighting up as you're talking about this, which is just oh, yeah. so awesome. Because we've had this conversation with so many times, but still it's like, yes, this is it. This is why we do it. Um, and I think it's, you know, we just graduated. One, we just graduated. Let's have a moment. <laughs> Thank God that happened. <laughs> but, but also just like when we're looking forward, and I think what I constantly like, and you know, I, like, I, I won't lie. Like I still have the like, oh, I got my big scholarship to go to Pomona. Like I had to make the most of it. And I went in thinking I'm like, I'm going to study like politics and international relations and I'm going to be a lawyer. One, all these things. Cause like 
I wanted to be able to achieve it, but also because like I need to pay it forward to my family and like thinking about like sustainability and like economic sustainability as a person. Um, and then of course, coming out with like a theater degree, it's like, I'm extremely proud of the work that I've done because I know I'm a better person for the work behind that degree, regardless of what's on the damn diploma. But it is like having to convince myself that like, will I pursue what is maybe economically feasible? And like, you know, when we're looking at commercial art and commercial theater, like you're going for what's going to sell versus like, what is it that actually just makes you passionate like what's going to get you in the theater every single day to do the work because let's be honest like it's grueling like to make these like to put on the work that we do is hard it's long it's exhausting but like what gets you there and what keeps you there and like alive in the process and so I guess like I'm just trying to take that lesson and those lessons from school and just like how am I gonna? How am I gonna like hold myself to that, even when it gets really tough? And honestly, I'm gonna be looking at my bank account a lot when I'm going forward and trying to continue to find that spark and that joy in my work, because I don't. I I feel like if I sell out, yeah, I'll be comfortable, but I won't be like content and like really just truly like alive. And I think that's what I remember feeling. If we're talking about like nostalgia and like pulling back to certain moments like honestly I think I remember I was like oh I could maybe do this theater stuff when we did our auto dramas or in our directing class that was crazy I was terrified one because like we were also freshmen and that we were a lot of upperclassmen in our class but oh my god what did I do it on (laughs) I like remember my story had to do a lot with like the dynamic between my parents and the fact that I had like moved schools a lot and then like how I just started to find all my worth in what I produced. And so I was like a competitive swimmer. And I just remember how I tried to gather my worth from the world around me. And then I think it culminated with like, I was being baptized because I'm also, I also like decided like, I'm going to commit my life to my Christian faith and figuring that out in college has been rewarding, interesting, confusing, um, scary, like all all of the above. But being able to do that and own that and literally have like a spiritual experience on stage in front of all of you and realizing that like as scared as I was, I felt so like literally it felt like there's like electricity coursing through my body when I finished. And I was like, oh, I get that now. <laughs> I want that forever. And I think that's what it is. It's like admitting that like no, I wasn't an artist when I did that at first, and I did not see myself as a director, but those are just labels, I think, to just kind of make some sense of the kind of people we want to be. So we want to be artists, and we want to be like storytellers and directors, but like these are just all different labels to kind of assign a pursuit that we have. I feel like that we've charged ourselves with, and honestly, being in community, we've charged each other with. Like, if you came to me and you told me, like, I'm not going to be doing theater anymore, I might be like, Zed, <laughs> let's talk for a second. <laughs> you know, so why are we making these decisions? Um, good choice. Maybe another one <laughs> with that kind of language. But I, I feel like that's, that's what I've really gotten out of school. And I just got a fancy degree with it, I guess. But <laughs> um, if anything, like, that's the value of the work. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that that is such a beautiful way to look at it too. Is that that we don't we put these labels on things in order to like 
create meaning for ourselves and meaning for the external world when they look in and we say, oh yeah, I'm a director, I'm a theater artist, but it is so much more than that. And that we, you know, once again, like we have agency in defining whatever that means to us and we don't have to, you know, give, give in to the things we don't want to do. And I think what's so important, especially as artists, but as, as, as general human beings, I think the idea of happiness it isn't talked about enough that that we can actually shape our lives for happiness over wealth, you know, mm-hmm. that the current definition of success as it's defined within society is fundamentally flawed because mm-hmm. success, I don't think for some people, maybe it is the, the, the fancy cars and the money and the limitless possibilities of, of financial freedom. And like, you know, like obviously that there is some great value in that to an extent, but I think also happiness is about doing something you love. It is about sharing things with people you love and being and experiencing things because you love them, not because you feel like you need Mm -hmm. to do them in order to get some kind of financial gain. And, and so I think like, shifting that mindset and having, you know, conversations like this where we can kind of debunk that as we kind of now are like, Oh, what am I going to do with my life? You know, we're both people that are interested in the arts and, and, and like all theaters are closed right now. It's like, well, what is the future of the theater? Like, Mm -hmm. like can the theater exist post COVID? Like, you know, and, but, but not to be then like, ah, well, there's no point me doing it. I guess I'll just get a corporate job, but to be like, but how can we innovate? How can we, how can we find new ways to tell stories, to connect with people, whether it's in the same place or not, how can we facilitate these same kind of experiences, access this kind of theatrical artistry, this theatrical connectedness, the, the, uh, the presence of being with other people and experiencing something simultaneously live in the moment. How can we use that and find new ways to explore it? Um, and be open, you know, like solution orientated in that sense, because mm-hmm. I think in a way that's artists are problem solvers, you know, yeah. that's what we have to do. Like is figure mm-hmm. out how do we get our art out there? How do we make stuff and, and not, not be limited by maybe the, the typical definitions of success, but mm-hmm. use those systems and play off them and workshop them and figure it out and figure out what matters to us, mm-hmm. what makes us happy. Exactly. And I really hope that like, like you're saying with like, not only like letting ourselves be limited by what is like success truly, but like what is like, we were talking about labels and this idea that like, it would just break my heart if like, you know, actors, actors, performers who, who, who love taking on these, these characters and like bringing these stories to life. Like if right now, you know, they're sitting at home without work and they just think like, well, no one, no one is bringing an opportunity to me or there's no opportunity for me to go grab. How do I make something for myself? And like realizing that like as artists, we have the potential to be the most multi-hyphenated anything. But I think, you know, something that I realized with going to school so often we're put into tracks and so often we're told like, you need to do X, Y, Z and you are therefore like this product or this thing and that's your craft and that's your trade. And it's like, no, like we need to be innovative and we need to be like, I never produced, but how do I get, how do I get a team together? How do I get this forward? Um, and, and like what we've said, like accepting that it's not always going to be the most polished thing, but that that process will inform 
why it's worth it in the end and what, what, what is, what is valuable. Um, and I think I want that, like that, like lesson or that drive or that sense of like openness of like, it really is possible with like a network and with that sense of like fire under you to get it done. I want that to be like taught even earlier than undergrad. Like I want like youth to be like really feeling like I could do a million things, um, you know, and feeling like they have really when like this gets blocked up, they can turn around and like work that way. And I, get, I think that's why I'm trying to get more into theater admin. And like, that's why I'm going to go work on an education team is because I was like, okay, this company actually genuinely works with like inner city Chicago kids who don't have theater, you know, classes or programs at their schools to go to. But yeah, we're going to make sure they see like some world-class theater and that they realize oh, I have, like, I can tap into this network and figure out how to get there um, or how to tell my unique story that no one has heard that will inspire someone 10 years from now to do the exact same thing. I think it's like a cascading effect of, like, we're all dominoes in this, in this world. And, like, you know, me working on Daphne's Dive with, I think, Chiara Alegria, who is, like, my hero, if it wasn't for her work, I wouldn't be where I am or I wouldn't have this mindset. And so it's really just about, as an artist, we need to also pay it forward for the artists that are coming after us. Because without us, like, who knows where they're going to get the microphone to go and tell their story. Um, it was really incredible. It's like a, a web of, like, my story touches on this person and we're really just, like, subtly touching each other's lives in, like, these really incredible, nuanced ways. And like, I don't know, if we're talking about like fulfilling and success, if that's not like fulfilling and just like the ultimate mark of success, then honestly, what is, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that is like the pinnacle of, of our responsibility as artists, you know, mm. no matter where we're at, it's like, let history inspire us. Let mm. the people before us inspire us so that we can then invest in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that it is this constant relationship between the people who have done it before, learning from them, sharing with us, us trying those things out for ourselves and making our own discoveries. And then whilst we're on that journey, sharing with the people who are coming up. And I think mm-hmm. like we, you know, I think there is something that the most dangerous thing I think in the arts is this competitiveness, this feeling that these resources are finite and that I guess in some circumstances they are, that there are finite opportunities and, and all of yeah. that, but knowing that there are also ways for us to make it work for us and to make our own work and to give back and be a part of something that is bigger than, than just us making up. but something that's about bringing communities together because I, I think you, you would agree with this too. You know, th- this idea that one of the most beautiful things about theater in particular is that it has the ability to put stories out there that otherwise would be inaccessible. That in the mm-hmm. theater, you get to see someone experience these emotions right in front of your eyes. And it doesn't feel like it's manufactured or produced. It is authentic and real. And in that, we are, we are able to see those emotions in ourselves. We're able to see those characters mm-hmm. in ourselves because that human being is tangibly right there. And I think for young kids as well, um, mm-hmm who haven't been exposed to those things, like it, it's, it's one of the great, greatest teaching tools, I think, you know, in an education system that I think underserves 
so many of our gifts, right? Mm -hmm. That that focuses on the wrong things and puts the wrong, you know, stresses and anxieties on our students, you know, giving our students a way to express themselves and telling them that expression is not only okay, but is encouraged that as human beings, we're designed to want to express ourselves and to connect Mm -hmm. with each other and share our stories and that we have agency in doing that. No matter who you are, your story matters. Yeah, for sure. And I think just, I don't know, just like this conversation is so great because I'm also just like feeling a lot of gratitude for the fact that like, honestly, Pomona could be like the hardest place to exist and to be. And like, we're talking about that competitive nature that's just instilled in us in such a young age that these resources are finite. And like Pomona is like the perfect breeding ground for that. But I think what was so healing about the theater community um, is that I think, especially in like our class, I feel like the classes that came before us, I always got that sense of just like, I am only as strong as the person next to me. Like I'm only better when we're all collectively better and like advocating for each other. And like, you know, cause like, I think even with just doing the thesis and I remember like being on like that early committee with Kyle Lee and talking about red velvet and, you know, the real issue of like, how do we make sure that this performer's thesis project is like truly something that reflects not only his capabilities as an artist and as a performer, but like who he is as a person, as a black man. And like making sure that these stories, like we are using our platform um, and like at the, at the Claremont colleges and like that stage, then these beautiful stages and theaters that we have to tell stories that not only are like worth it for the artists engaged and involved and like truly represent who they are. But it's so that somebody else, like somebody, the person that we least expect walks into the theater, gets dragged by a friend, has to go for an assignment, whatever reason. And then they're like, Oh shit. Like I am welcome. Like I am here. Um, Cause we're always going to be beating against not only access to theater, theater being a, a very big example, but like access to art in general and this idea of what art is and high art and fine art, it's like, just throw it out. Like, great, like, good. Like, seeing a Broadway show is fun. Like, going on West End is fun, but not not everyone gets out there. And, like, we need to make these, like, experiences so available and so accessible, like, right now. Because truly, like, especially in, like, dark times like this where, you know, we have... COVID and we feel so disconnected in our communities. And also we have like protests and like marches against like, you know, these systems that devalue human life. It's up to like art and our stories to remind us like, no, this is the value of my life. And this is the value. And this is the worth that I bring into this world. Um, it's so important to amplify that because honestly, then I feel like we just collectively like, lose our humanity. If we fall to victim to these different, these different, um, influences that are pushing on us right now like literally like 2020 <laughs> so um it's so important to keep amplifying this and that's i think what we're charged with going into the next chapter of whatever we're doing <laughs> with our <laughs> lives <laughs> and how we're making you know how we're making uh like how we're finding value in every single day 
Yeah, I, I, I think that is so beautiful. And I think you touch on, on so many great things there. I think the core of it really is, is like paving a future that is built on accessibility and connectivity mm-hmm. is this idea that like we have to make these resources accessible. And I think that is one of the things that, that the theatre struggles with is that it is mm-hmm. fundamentally one of the most inaccessible art forms because it's expensive. And a lot of the stories that have been told throughout history have been only the stories of a select few of the funders of the, you know, the money behind it. But it's like, no, the theater is bigger than that. And it, and it has always, it, it has always been, and will always be bigger than that. And we have to lean into the diversity of stories out there and create platforms for those stories to be shared. And then to embrace that connectivity that comes from those stories back to your earlier point of empathy, You know, the empathy to be in a space sharing other people's stories, you know, and letting those stories affect you and resonate with you and like just sitting with them and listening, I think is, is like such a powerful thing. Um, and, And I think like this conversation is just such an awesome, I consider all day with you and just, you know, like, (laughs) you know, delve, delve into this, but I think it is so powerful. And I think it is like, it, it excites me so much that, that there are artists like yourself who are, who are paving the way forward and who are committed to creating work and creating opportunities moving forward. Um, and, and, and it is such, it is such an exciting thing to, to see and be a part of. Um, so I, I, I really respect, respect you for that and, and, and for, you know, the continued, um, influence you were going to have moving forward as an artist, as a creator, and also just as a human being, um, but it, it does make me sort of just to, to wrap this up and to come to an end is like, what, what is your vision for the future as, as an artist? Um, and, and what, what excites you moving forward and what are you working towards? That's an excellent question. Um, one, echoing all that and throwing it right back at you because I don't think I would be where I am and have this system of belief that I do about the work that we're doing if I didn't believe that it was also being carried by friends like yours, like, like you and like, you know, the friends that we graduated with and the friends that are still at school. And like, honestly, like, you know, we've both been able to do work abroad with other artists and like that, like that network that we carry, like, that's what gives me hope because I'll admit it. Like I'm feeling really great about this right now. And I often do, and it's what carries me, but like, it's, it's hard not to fall into the spiral of like, can I continue to do this? Is it sustainable? Like, you know, it's, it's a constant fight. And I think we're, we're all stronger and braver for it. Um, but I guess looking forward, you know, I think, I think I'm trained and I'm conditioned to look forward and think like, oh, so next degree or next like position. Um, I think what I've told people in like interviews and what I just continue to tell myself is like, I just need to find the best space and the best medium through which I can continue to make intentional spaces for others, for community. So I think right now that move is like, how am I doing that for like Chicago youth and how am I doing that in like a theatrical like education team? Um, so I'm really excited to go like learn from some other people who have a lot more experience in that and like the administrative um, skills needed to like make that happen and produce that work. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And I think I'm still trying to figure out 
because I think about like our teachers and our mentors, like, you know, Kathy Pogson in, in London and, you know, Megan Prawl, Gio, uh, Jesse Mills, like all these amazing professors we've gotten to work with. And I'm like, I wouldn't be where I am if someone didn't inspire me. And so like, part of me is like, I really want to go back to school, get my MFA in directing and I want to go teach. And like, I want to go do that. But the part of me is like, but I also want to like talk, like continuing with a, another facet of accessibility is like, how am I making it accessible on the day to day for just like, you know, our consumers and like our community. So I kind of want to go work in theater management. It's like, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm in a position where I'm like lucky enough that one, I'm back home and I'm in Chicago and I have yet to really figure out what it means for me to be a theater artist in Chicago because I never appreciated what a theater hub Chicago really is while I was living and growing up here because I don't know shit about theater. Um, and I didn't think it was for me. And so I think I guess I get to just go back to the basics of humbling myself and being open to just following that joy and following that, like what feels right. So I think there are a lot of cool um, paths to take. I'm really blessed in that sense, but there's a lot, there's a lot that can be done. Um, and I think a lot that still needs to be done to like, I think achieve this, this like shared vision that you and I have been talking about. Um, and it's time to go find not only like within our network, but how many other people out there, like, you know, going about the same thing every day, you know, who want the same things. So it's time to think broaden that. When I say network, I get scared. Honestly, like the whole, like Gio Ortega's like whole networking, like it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> like the idea of networking, I'm like, I don't know, but I, I want to go find, I guess, not necessarily that network, but that community and keep expanding. Yeah. Um, community feels a little more honest to where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that is like such a beautiful vision moving forward. And, and I agree, like community is everything. And like, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this podcast and with the platform that of the story network, which I'm starting to build is like, like what happens if we are just vulnerable and honest with each other and we do just open up and share our stories and learn from each other and build a community that's based off of sharing rather than competing. And And so I think that's what excites me is like, is like, let's get together. Let's have these conversations. Let's be vulnerable with each other because we do not know what we're talking about. We're just trying to figure it out, you know, like, and, and we can learn from each other. And that is like such a beautiful thing. And, and, you know, to, to bring it to a close, like I've learned so much from you, um, your authenticity, you, is is impeccable i think you're you have such a powerful voice as an artist as as an educator as someone who also educates through your process and and as someone who inspires with the work that you do um you have such an incredible future ahead of you and and i cannot wait to to continue to support that and and you know in any way that i possibly can and you know, all I say to anyone listening is watch the space because um, NIEs is going to be sending waves. Um, you know what? I'll do my best that I can promise. I don't know if I know what I'm doing, but I will do my best. Um, thank you, Zed. Um, and one, thank you for just creating the space because like, honestly, like it's been, it's been a tough week. I think a lot of us are going through like collectively a really difficult time and just 
this is such a beautiful reminder for me. Like if no one else listens to this podcast, I hope you are listening, but like if no one else does, like I'm really glad that we just got to connect again and have this conversation because like that is empowering me to just go tackle tomorrow and, you know, keep asking the questions of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And maybe I'll go write a play. I've honestly been wanting to. I think I need to go expand on that, on that draft yes. that I started. Um, so, so I really appreciate you. Um, and it just feels amazing that also that we're continuing to create and talk and after our theses, because that was such an incredible experience. And I feel like it closed, it came to an end, but it doesn't feel resolved and it doesn't feel like an end. And I'm really excited to see what happens with both of our pieces and our work and how I can continue to support that as well. Cause it needs to happen. I need people to see what you were working on because I got glimpses. I got to sneak in sometimes. Um, and it's just, you're, you're definitely changing the world with your, with your voice and your work. And I'm so, so excited for you. That's truly warms my soul. And, and I really, really appreciate it. I'm, I'm super excited to keep this conversation going for many years to come and to keep collaborating. But in the meantime, for everyone listening, thank you so much for joining in and we'll uh, see you next time. First of all, congratulations. You just listened all the way through our podcast and we couldn't be more thrilled to have you as part of the Story Network community. If you enjoyed the conversation, it would mean the world to us if you could like, share, review and subscribe to let us know that you're listening. We are on a mission to build the largest and most diverse community of storytellers, creators and innovators from around the world and we can't do that without your help. You can check us out on Instagram at The Real Story Network and over on YouTube and Facebook at The Story Network. My name is Zed Hopkins. You're amazing. And we are The Story Network. Woo! The Story Network.